Welcome to Power of the Network. I'm your host, Tim Locker, Vice President of Broadband for CBM. Uh, today, we're going to continue on with our conversation with Chris Kurtz, uh, talk a little bit more in the power utility industry, uh, some of the new technologies, uh, and what's going to happen here in the future. So let's get right back into our conversation with Chris. Talk to me about DERMS. Uh, it's a distributed energy resource management system. That's way above my head, obviously, but uh, tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Well, utilities love their acronyms, right? And sure. so there are a ton of acronyms. So it goes back to the, the system we talked about a little while ago. Traditionally, electric systems were one way. Start at a power plant, go through transmission, substation, distribution, end up at a home or at a business. Okay. And you had, you had one source of power. It may have been nuclear power, it may have been coal-fired power, gas-fired, or a dam providing hydropower, but it was always one source that fed one direction down through that system. The world of today and tomorrow, there are multiple sources at multiple places on that, on that system to provide power into it. And so now, besides just having a coal-fired power plant down here at the end, you might have wind generation that's not at the end, but in the middle of that system. You might have a solar panel on somebody's house or a car, an EV, that's plugged into someone's house, and now power's feeding back into that system. Each one of those sources is different in its own right. Yeah. You know, solar's different than wind, different than coal. And they all have their own, their, their own advantages, cost advantages, and efficiency advantages. And those vary over time. I mean, wind is very efficient when the wind's blowing, but it's not other sure. times. Solar's very efficient when the sun's out and not at other times. What a derms, well, what happened traditionally is utilities used what they called an EMS system or an energy management system to control that power flow from the generator all the way down to the customer. But an EMS system doesn't have the ability to look at all the new inputs that are coming in, providing power into that system. And so that's what's led to the DERM system. And what the DERM systems will do for a utility is they'll look at any given moment in time and determine whether wind's the best source of power, whether coal is, whether nuclear is. And whichever one's the best source of power, they will close the breakers, you know, make the connection they need to bring that source of power onto the system. Well, five minutes later, it might be different. And so they may switch over to, an, uh, and it's probably not five minutes, but sure. at some point, some, one of those other sources become more efficient, and so they switch over to solar, or they switch over to uh, 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 biomass, or they switch over to coal or gas or whatever it is. And so it's a very complex control system that takes multiple resources and determines which one needs to feed into the system to make the, the lowest cost for the utility and ultimately the customer yeah. uh, electricity and power uh, into that system. So when we hear the term smart grid, right? That's that's exactly what we're talking. That's about. That's exactly highly. what you're talking about. Smart grid, and, and you'll you'll hear about smart grid. You hear about smart neighborhoods these days, even smart cities, and those are those are areas that have determined that they don't want just one source from the utility. They may, they may put in their own solar. They may put in their own wind turbines and then hook to the utility and whichever one is the most efficient and cost effective, they'll feed their neighbors or their city or whatever it is with that source during that period of time. Okay. So, uh, you know, technology-wise, you know, smart grid, all these different controls, are, are we seeing a different... Uh, use of fiber optics today in the utility space? Oh, definitely. I, I could take you out to, to spaces around here that 
wouldn't even think of having fiber in them substations, for example. Yeah. You're starting to see fiber put throughout substations where five years ago it didn't exist at all. Because fiber is a much more uh, effective way to communicate from point A to point B, yeah. right? I mean, it's just it's Further, got low faster. losses. It, it, you can transmit a lot more over a little wire than you could. So you go into a typical large power substation, they'll run typically run control wires from the devices out around the substation to the central control, whether that's a house, a control house, or whatever it is. They would run that with number 10 and number 12 wire, yeah. you know, big bundles of 12 conductor number 10 or whatever it is. I mean, you know, gigantic things. Now, all of those smart devices that are going into yeah. substations have fiber associated with them. And now you take one small fiber cable, and you can take it out to all of those devices and have one cable that feeds back into the control house. So that cuts down on the cost of all of the, all of the work you have, civil work you have to do to create cable troughs and, and duct work. And you replace it with single cables running out to these devices. That's just one example in the yeah. electric utility. But you're seeing it everywhere. As a matter of fact, Every time they put up a large transmission line, which are the big, big lines yep. you see going across the, the country, uh, they'll put a fiber optic cable up in the top of that thing and what we call the static wire. Yeah, to, optical ground wire. Optical OPGW. ground wire, that's right, uh, to connect one end to the other of all of that. And they'll use those wires for the protective relaying that they have to, to protect that transmission line from faults or you know whatever might occur to it. But then they'll also take some of that dark fiber and they'll, they'll let their neighbors, well, they won't let them, they'll let them pay to yeah, use that IRU dark fiber. And, yeah, that's yeah, right. That to use it for communications or whatever purpose they, they may need. So uh, fiber is a, is a growing, growing, fiber is getting big in yeah. utilities and will yeah. continue to do so. And obviously that's been my background. I've not got a lot of experience in the utility space, but I do have a lot of experience in fiber. And, you know, OPGW has been around a long time, but, you know, we're starting to see, you know, in the, uh, REC market and co-ops, et cetera, you know, doing a lot of fiber of the home, uh, maybe not so much fiber of the home in a generation type of pu public utility. Right. Um, but, you know, those eas easements are are very valuable. Yep. You know, and that's also, like you said, you can make an IRU agreement. Uh, and so we're starting to see a little bit more of that where the power utilities are, uh, you know, seeing the value and the opportunity for you know, different deals there. I agree. With you, I agree. So, it's a revenue uh, source that yep. they didn't traditionally have. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got, if you've got an easement across, you know, a, a great span, right. You know, somebody wants to be there. No so. doubt. So, you know, there's been a lot of uh, mergers in the utility space recently. Um, do you expect more of them in the future? Uh, how does that affect the, the customer, the end user? Uh, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, different rate change plans and, you know, based on peak rate, et cetera. Right. Uh, how does all this affect us as an individual end user of the utility? Well, let's start with merger and ac acquisitions. What, what you've seen uh, in that arena has mostly happened in the IOUs or the investor-owned utilities. You haven't seen that to the same degree in the co-ops or the REAs okay. uh, and certainly not in municipals. But the reason that happens is economy of scale. And it's, I mean, it's happened enough. Well, let me just give you a, a statistic. Uh, 20 years ago, there were 148 investor-owned utilities in the country. Today, there's less than 42. 
Oh, wow. Because yeah. there's mergers happening all yep. the time. So, yep. and, and they will continue to happen. And so the, the reason always given it is just the economy of scale. So you bring two utilities together, especially two that are geographically close to each other, right next to each other. And so that, that those two operating areas become one operating area. And while you still have to have a lot of linemen to cover those two areas, yeah. you still have to have a, a lot of substation folks, technical folks to do that. You can combine the legal groups. You can combine the HR groups, the accounting groups, all of those you know back office groups. Yeah. And you can scale down. The other thing you can do is when you when you go to manufacturers to buy equipment, now instead of buying it as a single utility where you buy may buy twenty of whatever this is, now as two utilities you might buy forty of that, sure. and so you'll get a better price on that. So you put all of that together, and it creates an economic model where it makes sense to bring those those companies together into Scale a single cost. utility. Are, are those typically a friendly deal or are they yes not and hostile, no. can be hostile? Yes and no. Be, uh, some uh, of those are takeovers. Yeah. Some of those are hostile mergers. Some of those are friendly mergers. Uh, the ones I've been associated with, I've been associated with a takeover and been associated with a friendly merger. Well, actually, it was a takeover that didn't get approved and became a friendly sure. merger. But, uh, and, and so, and there's... Well, obviously, there's some risk to the employees, especially the redundant groups. There definitely is. Uh, what the customers, though, see, and, and this has been proven time and time again, is you look over a five-year window after those mergers, and customers have been impacted positively by that. Now, I'm not saying... If the the rates, company can bring their costs down. Yeah, then right. And so and it doesn't necessarily mean that their rates are going to go down, but what it means is the rates wouldn't have don't go up as much as they would have yeah. outside of that merger. So it helps the customer from that perspective to understand that. Um, when it comes to like time of use rates, you mentioned that. That's sure. that's a very common thing in the electric utility space these days. And that goes to efficiency around peak. So we've talked about peak, what peak is. And, and peak is that moment of time, whether it's the middle of the summer where everybody has their air conditioners on, the middle of the winter where everybody has their heat pumps on. Those are normally the two peaks you see in an electric utility. At that point, that is when the most electricity is needed at any instant throughout the year. And an electric utility has to size its generating fleet, so all of its power plants, yep. To, for that very moment. So when you flip that switch on, you're that last person, right, that's turning their switch on there. If that, if you don't have enough generation, enough power plants making power to cover that switch flipping, then the lights don't come on for that person. Well, yeah. that's really bad for everybody. Yeah. And so what that means is they have to build enough generation to have enough power plants to cover that, and then the regulators make them usually cover at least 20% more than that. A little bit so, extra. Yeah, you got to have extra on that. And so... When, when they're looking at planning for the future, not only to replace old power plants, but what are the new power plants when things like EVs are now coming on and that peak is going to jump yeah. up? Well, that means now over here, 10 years down the road, we're going to have to build a new power plant. And those power plants, especially if they're nuclear, could be billions of dollars to build. And who pays for that? Well, the customers pay for that yeah. over the next 40 years or whatever. And so utilities are being encouraged by the federal government, by regulators, to help customers understand that and then help customers help keep that peak down as much as they can. So if you're now 
not doing your laundry at the same time everybody else is doing their laundry, when the air conditioners are running, that peak will be lower. And if that peak stays low enough, the utilities say, I may still have to build a power plant, but instead of 10 years, it's now 20 years away. And so it allows them to put off those big capital investments that then flow to the customers through rates. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that helps a lot. All right, real quick, let me tell you a little bit about what we do here at CBM. So we're a manufacturer's rep located here in the Midwest. Uh, We work in three different vertical markets, uh, utility space. uh, We work in communications and also commercial industrial markets. Uh, We've been in business since 1960, uh, been an employee-owned ESOP since 1988. Uh, We really value that uh, employee ownership in our organization, and I think it brings a lot to – to value our manufacturers as well. So if we can be of any service to you and help you in your next project, or if you're a manufacturer looking for expert representation, feel free to reach out to us here at CBM. That's cbmrep.com. Let me ask you this too, just real simple then. So uh, in terms of the cost of power, when it's if, if it's at the peak... Does that power cost more than to generate? It really as does well? because what what happens is we, we talked a little bit ago about base load generating plants. So base load generating power plants are the ones that utilities have on all the time to provide power because they're the ones that they can produce power the cheapest. And those tend to either be nuclear or and we don't have a lot of hydro, so they tend to be either nuclear or coal power plants. Okay. They produce the cheapest amount of power, so you're going to run them all the time for just regular power. But as that peak starts to climb in the middle of the summer, right, those can't handle it. There's not enough power being produced by them to do that. So power uh, utilities will have smaller peaking power plants, and many of those are either run by natural gas or by fuel oil or something like that, which is pretty expensive to produce power with. So you don't use it all the time, but you use it during those peaks. And because you're using the more expensive sources during that time, it makes that power during those peaks more expensive to generate, to create. And that was my assumption too. But so uh, how much advanced notice do you have for these peaks? Obviously they're monitoring this stuff Right, twenty four seven all right. the time. But right, uh, you know, in May, as the air conditioners kind of kick on one by one, is it a slow thing or does it ever just boom hit all at once and catch you off guard? So um, normally it's a slow thing. Normally, and utilities track that peak every year they're required to, but they do anyway, and they plan their next summer based on what the peak was last summer or winter, depending on the peak that they're dealing with. And so they know, you know, given these conditions, that's why when they're going to take a power plant down to do maintenance, they don't do it anywhere near that time. They do it in the middle of, you know, the early spring or late fall or something like that to do maintenance because there's less chance you're going to have one of those peaks. Okay. Uh, the, the last one, but there are surprises. The last thing that really surprised utilities was that winter uh, vortex that yeah. came through a couple of years ago. Because you go down to Texas, and what happened in Texas was not only did the wind and the solar, that they and they have a lot down there, not only was it a cloudy, 
period of time, and there wasn't the wind wasn't where it needed to be. But they'd also taken down a couple of their nuclear power plants for maintenance because normally it would be fine to do. Yeah, so they're well, offline. They're offline, and all of a sudden they're having rolling blackouts because they there's just not enough power being produced, and they can't bring it in from other utilities because all the other utilities are having the same they're problem, right? Because yeah. that that hit the whole part center part of the country when that happened. So surprises happen very seldom. And I, I can tell you that regulators since that vortex have changed mandates around when power plants can go down for maintenance and, and when they can do other construction work that, that limits power flow uh, to overcome that type of thing in the future. And so they continue to evolve their rules and regulations around sure. it. Okay. Let, let's change, uh, change the subject a little bit. Uh, you know, so you've been with us for about a year now with right. CBM and we're, right. uh, we're grateful to have you. Um, how is it for you now on the other side of the fence, uh, you know, in a, in a sales role versus, you know, it, you know, in your director level or right. management role there at, right. with the utility? Well, you know, I didn't think it was going to be very different, but I was wrong. Um, <laughs> I can tell you when I was on that side of the fence, I didn't think twice about going to somebody at CBM because, you know, the company I worked at had a long relationship with CBM and asking a question about, something. It may not have even been that important to me, but yeah. I needed to know about a piece of equipment or test equipment or whatever, and I had a question about it. And and I was always expecting a quick answer. When I wouldn't get one, you know, I'd get a little frustrated yeah, at those, what's the deal? those what, guys. What in the heck's going on here? <laughs> yeah. And uh, what I found out on this side is there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes to answer those questions, whether it's multiple email conversations or voice conversations with manufacturers, and then manufacturers may have to ask, you know, sub-manufacturers, you know. There's, there's just a lot that goes into answering questions and doing the legwork that it takes to, to make the customer happy, whether that customer is a big one or a little one, we treat them all the same, right? Yeah. And so you want to get the right answer for them in a timely fashion so they can make good decisions. Yeah. And I just never realized how much work goes on on this side of the fence. So I appreciate that much more now than I did. Yeah, no, that's great. So what what's one assumption that people make about your job that's not not true. Before. Well, okay, so there was always this image at electric utilities, and big ones anyway, that these these manufacturer reps, all they did was go to mm. lunch and Take play golf. Golfing I mean, and that's you go all to they lunch. do. That's what, and that is definitely not true. There is, I haven't played golf in nine months I've been here, <laughs> I got to tell you. So it, it is, there's, a, there's some time you got to have relationships, right? And you got to yep. spend time with your customers and develop those relationships. But there's a lot of work that goes on. It's it's not easy. There's a lot that goes into it. When, when you look at we're happening, we're working on a project right now to bring a major piece of equipment into a utility that's never had this equipment from this manufacturer, and I've been here nine months, and we've spent eight months and two weeks working on this. Yeah, and involved multiple trips to the manufacturer, multiple trips out to the field to people that are already using this equipment to see how they like it and how it works, and then starting to work on partnership agreements and and uh, working with the procurement group at the at the company in order to get all the T's and C's, you know, sure. right and everything. And so uh, it is not a straightforward process. And it is not an easy process. Yeah, no, to, to do nothing's something. easy, nothing's quick. Right. But it is very enjoyable, isn't oh, it? No doubt, no doubt. And, and the thing I love about it is the relationships, right? Yeah. So uh, one thing I love about CBM is CBM always had a, I always had a great relationship when I worked at the utility there, had for 
38 years I was there, as a matter of fact, in, in the substation group because CBM has been around 60 and they've been dealing with the utility I was at for my 38 years. And so working with uh, CBM during that period of time, uh, the relationships were always the strongest thing. And, and you, you would like to think it's all, whether a utility is going to purchase some piece of equipment, is all about bottom line cost or it's all about you know a service agreement. It, it's really about those kind of things. But it's much more about the relationship because yeah. I need to be able to trust you. Yeah, you got to be able to count on someone that's going to do that's what right. you ask. That's right. Follow through in follow the end. Follow through. And then, take, and then if something does go wrong, be there to support me as my yeah. ally. Yeah, how are you going to take care of the right. issues when, right. when we have it? And, and it, so it's... The thing I love most about this is relationships yeah. uh, and forming those. Even with some of the new people, I didn't know when I was working at the previous utility I was at. So it, it's great. There's a lot, I mean, utility people are good people, right? And, you know, the, the one thing, especially about linemen, I thought was always funny was that linemen will normally have a second job. They'll normally be a farmer. They'll yeah, normally a lot of be cattle able, guys. That's right. And, and they would always tell me when I was working at this utility that their second job was really the utility, right? Their yeah. primary job was out on the, on the farm or doing whatever they do. But that's the kind of mentality you want working for you at a utility, someone with that kind of work ethic yeah. that's going to get the job done. And as a, as a manufacturer rep, we need to have that same kind of attitude. We need to be able to go the, uh, go the mile, go past the mile yeah. for the customer and, and create that relationship that's going to last. Yeah. Well, you, it, you know, it's always fun. You know, it's, I share the same thing that, you know, my favorite part of this job is relationships. You know, friends turn in or customers turn into friends right. over right. the years. Uh, and, and you're going to go to the end of the earth for them. Uh, yep. And that's really what matters at the end of the day. I agree. So, well, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate you coming on with us today. We're grateful to have you here at CBM. We hope you stick around a long time. But Well, I really appreciate being here. I didn't know what it was going to be like being on this side of the fence, but now I've been here nine months. I'm yeah. really starting to love it. Oh, you're going to kill it. We yeah. appreciate it. All right. Thanks. thanks. All right. That was great. We're truly fortunate to have Chris as part of our team. He's an absolute wealth of knowledge in the power utility space, and we're grateful to have him. If you have any questions uh, from today's episode, uh, feel free to reach out to us here at CBM at cbmrep.com. And thanks again for joining us on Power the Network.